Hello and welcome to Beyond the 18, a podcast where we break down the games, we talk tactics. I'm Patrick Duffy and I'm joined as always by my good friend, Rodrigo Plaza. Good to be talking with you, Rod. How you doing? Doing great. I'm glad that we're getting this whole part two to talk about what I think was perhaps the most interesting, exciting, perhaps uh, contentious games of the weekend. Looking forward to this discussion. Our game of the week, Liverpool 2, Aston Villa 7. An absolutely shocking result um, on both sides of the ball. An incredible win for Aston Villa. And I want to run down from the top of the game and then... Um, start digging a little bit deeper into tactically what happened here. So just right off the bat, uh, Aston Villa comes out pressing against Liverpool. Liverpool, notably without their starting keeper, Allison, they have Adrian, um, their backup keeper playing, who's had some mistakes in the past. He, he's, th- there's been some concerns with him, and that gets exposed right away. Ollie Watkins is pressing the back line. Joe Gomez on this back pass to, um, or sorry, Adrian on this back pass to Joe Gomez, it, the pass goes awry and Ollie Watkins is able to pick it off and he scores in the fourth minute. Um, and a shocker goal, a mistake by the keeper, a bad pass trying to play out of the back, exploited by Aston Villa very quickly. On the flip side, Emmy Martinez, the keeper for Aston Villa, made almost the exact same mistake like five minutes later, but Aston Villa was able to get numbers back defensively and recover and, and were able to prevent um, Liverpool from from grabbing uh, a goal to equalize. Uh, Liverpool in the 19th minute had a really nice chance that I thought Bobby Firmino should have finished, and he just didn't really quite have the edge with the shot and um, kind of boofed it, to be honest. And then Aston Villa again on the attack in the 23rd minute, Ollie Watkins is able to break down, um, really like coming coming kind of hard down the, the left side, and he gets into this one-on-one versus Joe Gomez and cuts across to the top of the box and really hits a, a beautiful strike in the top of the top of the box from just outside the 18, kind of falling over as he's doing it too. It's just like great technique, a really nice goal, um, and a really quality finish from him in the face of a couple of Liverpool defenders. And so it's 2-0. Aston Villa up at this point. Liverpool, it's just kind of surprising. And um, and then Aston Villa stays on the front foot. There's some really nice switch of play. Douglas Luiz is connecting with Jack Grealish, who is absolutely sensational in this game. Um, really, really integral to all of Aston Villa's attacking play moving forward. And Ross Barkley, new addition from Chelsea, uh, misses a good chance. Um, he was under a lot of pressure, but he missed a few chances actually in the first half. Um, and then kind of on the other side, Pool is Liverpool is able to, to, to pull one back. And that goal comes for Mo Salah. It's his 100th goal um, in England. Uh, exciting landmark for him. And it was a nice goal. It, it just was kind of like one of those goals where the ball comes in and it pings around and comes out to Salah and he scores He's clinical. He's going to do that. Um, so 2-1, it seems like the the game is kind of finding Liverpool, kind of finding their way back in with some good attacking play from Diego Jota on the left. And then 
McGinn for Aston Villa, John McGinn, just rips this ball from way outside, and it takes a deflection off of Virgil van Dijk and scores in the 35th minute to put Aston Villa up 3-1. And then in the 40th minute, Ollie Watkins converts again and converts for a hat-trick uh, in, in the 40th minute off of this really nice set piece from Trezeguet. So, Ross, or sorry, from Ross Barkley. Ross Barkley is way outside, crosses it over to Trezeguet, gets Trezeguet, knocks it back to Ollie Watkins, and Ollie Watkins converts. So they go in at the half, and Aston Villa is up 4-1. And then you, you sort of think, like, wait, what's going on? But still part of you thinks, I don't know, Liverpool might be able to pull it back. That's sort of the way that the team has been. Um, and then that does not happen whatsoever. Uh, Ross Barkley scores on his debut for Aston Villa, and he throws up the A sign, which I thought was for Aston Villa, but it seems like it's not. It seems like it's something for like his friend group, and evidently he's also friends with Jack Grealish because then Grealish scores later and does the exact same celebration. Um, and, yeah, I, the, the game ends up being 7-2, um, Jack Grealish scored that seventh goal for Aston Villa, and I don't actually even remember who scored the second goal for Liverpool. Um, but the game, like, absolute madness from start to finish. Goals, goals, goals. And a lot of the goals for Aston Villa coming off of deflections off of Liverpool the players in the box, kind of in the right position, kind of not. Um, and I think that is sort of one of... The big takeaways for me for this game is that, yes, Aston Villa, you know, deserved to win. And, and yes, they won by a lot. But a lot of the goals were kind of fluky. What were you thinking about that? Absolutely. I, I uh, So I have so many thoughts about this game. Um, my, my first thought about, uh, about just the way that things went down, um, definitely don't want to undersell how well Aston Villa played this game. I think they played very well. They showed up. They were they were high energy from the very first minute of this game. They do great job passing in transition and building a play on the outsides. And then they really do an excellent job this whole game making runs in behind Liverpool. Um, they timed the runs really, really well. Um, just kind of right behind the line before the ball is played, just perfect timing, and they're doing it kind of consistently, which to me says, hey, you know, this is something that they either planned on or they've been working on or more likely both, right? Um, and they, they do really do a, an excellent job there. And there are some excellent goals um, from Ollie Watkins. The the cross, I mean, the, the cut that he makes in the box, the one he puts in the top right corner, beautiful finish. Um, Definitely a mistake uh, by Gomez there. You you never want to let a player cut into the inside, especially in one one on one situation like that. You, you can't let him cut, but he does make that and and still a difficult shot to make that he scores nicely. Um, he has uh, other beautiful goals. Ollie, Ollie Watkins is, is 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 kind of on fire in this game, um, and you really you kind of see these three players that are making it seems like a lot of the difference for them. You've got Ollie Watkins, um, you've got Ross Barkley, and you've got Jack Grealish. Jack Grealish is making excellent through balls in this game. One thing I just a little technical note you might want to check out as well. Some of the balls that he makes, um, some of his assists, and also just some other balls that didn't quite pan out quite that well, but still were dangerous. 
when he passes the ball for some of these through balls, he doesn't load at all. So he doesn't load on his left foot and then hit the ball through, right? He runs at the ball, takes a couple touches on it, and when he touches it with his right as if to step, he just kind of pokes it a little harder. And you'll notice that multiple situations, the defenders are not... That, that timing really throws them off. They expect maybe another touch and then a clearly like loaded pass, but, but he doesn't do that. He's just kind of little, little touches on the run that end up being through balls, and I feel like that was very effective and was really kind of a, a beautiful, kind of stylish way to be making those balls. Very effective. And then Ross Barkley. I, Ross, I don't know that what I saw as the formation on paper always matched what I saw on, uh, like on, on the field, especially up top. It seemed like players were moving around a lot, but at least from what I saw, Ross Barkley was essentially playing a very central role most of the game and was kind of tucked a little bit in because a lot of times the balls were being played wide initially, and then he was kind of making the run through the middle. I said this earlier when Ross Barkley was on Chelsea. I think he's a good player. I just think he does best when he has less decisions to make. When you play him deeper in the midfield, I feel like he's got to make decisions about whether we're moving the ball across or through, and I just feel like that's something where he stumbles a lot. I don't know if you have any thoughts about, about Barkley. Yeah, I, I, the announcers mentioned this in the game, and I thought it was so true. He made some really excellent runs down the middle, and it seemed like that was what he was being asked to do in this game, is just sort of like, you know, be the target man and make these runs and kind of overlap past Ollie Watkins and, like, break break their back line and, and, and be the person to connect with on some – on some through balls, and and he did excellent. He failed to convert in the first half. He was definitely, like, off in his finishing. Um, but, you know, scored a nice goal in the second. And I, I think that's exactly right. You limit the amount of thinking Ross Barkley needs to do, and you're going to get more out of him. I like I, that. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I, I just feel like when he has a very clear role, where he's in a position often with the ball on the run, he doesn't have to make a turn, doesn't have to play a combination to get the ball you know, in space, that's really where he does well. He can strike a ball. He's smart enough or has the vision enough to see the through balls when he doesn't have it. And he's a fairly humble player in that way. He's more than willing to give up the ball for another person to take it. Um, and I just think he played really well in that role having the only thing that would have held Ross Barkley back and would have, I think, in a way undermined that, uh, uh, the whole offense was if he was getting the offsides call. So it was good that he was talking back. If he'd been getting offsides call, I think it would have kind of stifled some of the transition uh, momentum that they were building up. So as long as he wasn't playing that, you know, he wasn't making that mistake, I thought, you know, he was he, he did well because he, he didn't. Um, and I think that would have been the one thing I could have seen Ross Barkley screwing up that kind of might have thrown off his effectiveness. Um, so that, that's what I see for Aston Villa. Great play. And I want to put them first because I don't want to end up talking this whole time about Liverpool. Um, but then again, it seems like we have a lot to unpack with them. Um, do you want to have any thoughts about Liverpool before I get started? Yeah. I, it, I, I think the question that's everyone has been asking and, or debating um, is who is the loss worse for on the weekend? Is the 7-2 loss for Liverpool worse or is the 6-1 Manchester United loss worse? And I don't know that I really necessarily want to compare those two games because in a lot of ways, the red card, it's like some mentality stuff for Manchester United, it feels a little like apples and oranges. And this is going to sound kind of out of left field, but actually watching this game, I felt like I was reminded of the Bayern Barcelona Champions League final. Um, Not final. The semifinal. Sorry, semifinal. The sem- semifinal, I think. Yeah. The 8-2 Oof. game that we just had a, a few weeks ago that people really viewed as like the maybe the end of Messi's time at Barcelona is a huge game. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I know it sounds kind of weird to compare that game to this game, but in some ways, I thought that there were a lot of similarities. Um, I thought that the scoreline for Barcelona in that game, similar to this game, wasn't totally accurate. Um, it didn't necessarily reflect the total balance of play. Um, like Barcelona had some chances early that it convert similar to Liverpool if they had the game swings differently um, Bayern exceeded their expected goals by a good amount Aston Villa did the same um, but I think the main point of comparison that I felt like was Barcelona in that game tried to play this really high defensive line and Bayern was like great like we're just going to torch you on this and we have the personnel to do that and Liverpool did the same thing in this game they played this really high defensive line and you wouldn't associate Aston Villa with being, like, the team with the personnel to do that. But then they did. And it was like, yes, I know it sounds nuts to be like Bayern Munich and Aston Villa are the comparable teams here that I'm comparing. But I just I, – I felt like this isn't that hard. Like, drop your defenders back. Like, Setien, drop your defenders back and, like, defend further back and you could maybe stop Bayern. And – Klopp, like, drop them back. I don't really know that Aston Villa can break you down if you do that. But, um, you know, it was just like goal after goal after goal, the same sort of thing happening. So maybe that's a hot take, but that was kind of my view. What, what were mm. you thinking? I think it's an interesting comparison. I would agree, of course, that there are some parallels. Certainly the score uh, is, is, is reminiscent. I mean, it was a blowout and, and not a – well – unexpected in both circumstances but for different reasons um and they did play a high line and that high line was getting taken advantage of um and they kind of continued to do it um i yeah i definitely hesitate to say that the two games are similar um in some sense because i think that in and the liverpool game the distinction i see is that they were trying to do something that is a coordinated defense it's an effective method they were just getting beaten in doing it they weren't doing it perfectly there were mistakes happening in the way that they were executing it and the other team was looked ripe to exploit i mean they looked ready the runs were timely um they knew how to they had the through balls coming i mean everything looked well oiled so obviously you know to their benefit i mean to, to to their credit but they were making mistakes and then they were also getting a team that was very ready to take advantage of them in the barcelona game you know my thing is that i didn't feel like they really had a plan they just said well we're gonna go real high and we're gonna try to you know <laughs> win the ball back and then score and it was and like, well, you know, when they get the ball and are running through traffic in the middle, how do we want to defend? I didn't think that plan was there and that was missing. And that for me is a big distinction um, because if you have a plan and you and it works well, you know, most of the time or even if it's on, you know, it's developing, but it, it's something that you're all seemingly can do well. Um, that that to me is there's a lot more potential in that than a team that is struggling to find a method um, or or to find a style of play even um, and to, and then and then on top of that not only to find it but then of course you know develop it and execute it so to me there's like a distinction there in terms of what they were trying to do versus what seemed like more like a lack of direction um, and perhaps you know maybe maybe the personnel but I, I'm not really going to get into that part of it now. Uh, if I want to talk about, like, I guess to make my point a little bit less ambiguous, right? What am I saying with I'm trying to do something coordinated? Um, I, I really, my eye is, 
is really drawn to the score um, and explaining why these goals happened, right? So first of all, there are several goals. I'm going to go ahead and say four goals that were kind of bizarre. The first goal is a bad pass by Adrian. It's, I mean, that's... Goalie mistake. It's goalie, goalie mistake. mistake. Goalies can't make mistakes. That's the way, I mean, you know, that's just the job. If you take the job, the job is you don't make mistakes, and he made a mistake, so... Backup goalie, though. Important to say, that's your backup right. goalie. That's and, not the person who's scared right. week to week. Exactly, and I, I think that would definitely give me some more confidence to know, hey, you know what, this isn't our full-time keeper. He might be a little shaky as well in his own head about this. He hasn't necessarily had, you know, um, you know, spotless games in the past. But anyways, he makes a mistake. That's what it is. I'm going to call that a fluke i'm not going to blame the whole team or the or the or the style of play for that then you have uh, a, a, a the second goal is is a nice is a nice goal which we'll talk about in a second but the third goal the fifth goal and i believe the sixth goal are yep. all deflections that are just i mean they're how would you recreate those i mean they were <laughs> deflections that they did everything perfectly i mean right like 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 if you were to describe the perfect pitch in baseball it'd be like it goes fast it moves a lot and it goes where the guy didn't think it would go that's essentially what all of these happen the guy in each situation a shot is taken it takes a deflection off of a defensive player it completely changes the arc of the like it, it totally changes the trajectory of the shot and then the shot goes into a place that's like hard to save. I mean, they're, they, I think, I think the, the, I'm trying to remember exactly where they went, but like one of them goes up and over in the top, in the top right yeah. corner. One goes wide right with a beautiful spin on top. It looks like it was perfectly curled. And the third one, I think it was the one off Fabinho, goes bottom left corner, even though it looked like he was going to go like, I don't know, 40 yards over the goal to the opposite side. I mean, all of these take such crazy deflections. And, like, sure, like, maybe the defense could have done a better job of getting to those balls earlier. Like, I think at least one of them, I think goal seven, I think I think Trent Alexander-Arnold there kind of hesitates to step to the ball. Yeah, Granted, the com- the combination play, you know, was was well that he was well done, that he was kind of thinking about the outside player making the run. And so he kind of hesitated. So maybe he gets our second earlier. But still, I mean, these deflections, I mean, these are, I mean, it's crazy to me that those go in as beautifully as they do. So uh, for me, those four goals, I I mean, let me put it this way. If I'm thinking about this as a coach, I'm not going to pay much attention to them. I'm going to be like, okay, you know, like I'm going to look at the little things that happened around it, maybe how they got the opportunity that they did. But the actual goal that that be, I'm not looking to fix any mistakes there. So for me, when I think about it this way, it's, it feels more like three two to me when I think about the way that it came out. Now uh, the three goals that that came out of this, I think, have a lot to do with how Liverpool play defense. Um, and 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 that's going to really jump into this offsides piece um, as well. But do you have any other thoughts about about these goals? And you want to you want to defend the validity of these deflections? Well, I guess I had two thoughts. One, yeah, I, I mean, you're 100% right that those fluky deflections, um, they, they were really weird and how well that they worked out. I think I, it was just like repeat reel of Adrian standing there being wrong-footed and not diving either way because it was like, hey, you can't blame him. Like the ball bounces off your defender. You don't really expect that to happen. Um but I will say also, Ross Barkley had at least two chances that he should have converted, maybe even three, um, and he just really kind of looked like he was a little uncertain in the final third in that first half. So y- there's also some like 
you know, he's a new player getting integrated. There, there was some a little bit of luck that maybe broke the other way. I can um, see that. I can understand that. Sure. I, I guess I, I said that I didn't really want to wade into it, but now that we've talked about it for a bit, I do kind of want to go back to thinking about the United game and this game. Sure. And I just felt like, like watching Klopp on the side, he, it, it seemed like his mind was very much in, in tune with what you're saying. He was kind of laughing. Like he was like smiling and kind of laughing. It's like, all right, like this is just absurd. And I'm not really going to lose a whole lot of sleep over this. And, you know, people on Twitter are going to have their, their, their day and, you know, make their jokes. But um, we didn't have Sadio Mane. We didn't have Tiago in the midfield. We didn't have Allison. Like, those are people who are really going to change the way that our team looks, and um, and yeah, and, and this this these goals kind of broke this way. So I, th- I think when I flip that back to the United game, if I'm like United, I'm like, you know, I could try to justify it being like we got a red card, we could go man down. It's kind of like you lose games, but it felt significantly worse. And I think watching Ole and watching like the players' reaction and the way they handle it it seemed like they felt like it was worse too. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I, I, I hadn't really thought so much about the deflections. I was very focused on that Ollie Watkins, like really nice goal that he scored. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was sort of the one that was sticking in my mind, but the deflections point is a really good one. Yeah. I, I, well, to, I think to bring it back to the United game, like, I think this is again, where I see the difference between Barcelona's loss and, and, and the, and the, and the Liverpool loss here, I see the distinction between them. It, it's it's the same thematic thing that I see that's difference between the United game and this game, uh, which makes me feel like the United loss was worse. The United, the first like three or four goals or whatever for United were just terrible play by them. They got a red card that absolutely played a role in every moment kind of after those goals. But each one of those was just poor play by the deep. I mean, the first one was a, a circus. Um, the second one was terrible recovery after a foul that didn't even need to happen. I mean, he was fairly alone at that point on the field. I mean, just to slow him down, especially as McGuire, somebody who's definitely got the strength to just keep the guy facing the wrong direction for a little while. You know, silly play and then and then poor recovery and then, you know, an excellent execution, right? Still not trying to take credit from Tottenham from that. But still, I mean, mistake after mistake. The ball to the corner, the two nutmegs, one goal. I mean, th- these are things where I'm like, this defense is a sieve, man. Like, they can't keep it together. They can't form a, a, a decent, you know, barrier uh, to stymie this to the stymie this offense. They're, they're th- like throwing this game. Here... I see something a little more systematic, and I kind of want to drive, I think, the, re- my, the rest of my analysis into this point, which is that Liverpool, right, has a ton of possession in this game, right? So they think have 70% of the possession in this game, and you know Liverpool, right? If they have 70% of the possession in the game, likely they're spending a lot of time in your half. That's just what's going to happen. So, you know, you can right there say tactically, maybe they shouldn't have done that, right? Uh, Aston Villa is a team that apparently is an excellent at the counter and has players on the outside that can make beautifully timed runs with through balls, uh, these subtle through balls. Um, yeah, maybe that's not the maybe that's not the way to play. But let's say that they do because they press a lot of teams, right? Good teams, bad teams, yeah. all, right? So if you're going to press that high, or not press that high, sorry, if you're going to play that high with possession, when you lose the ball, there's going to be space behind you. There just, there just is, Right. And so the question then becomes, assuming the first part, how are you going to deal with that space? So there's two pieces. One, 
you could immediately drop back. Just immediately drop back to whatever the decided line is going to be and then set up your defense there. Usually maybe the top of the 18 or deeper even if you're really worried about it, right? That's one. The opposite is you could press, right? And we all know Liverpool, they press, right? So what happens? They lose the ball. When they lose the ball in, in, you know, in, in the other opponent's third, they're immediately going to try to press the ball. Maybe they you know, step back a little bit until they can establish the press, but then they press and they hold the line there. The big thing about that is that when you play the press, you have to get on the ball immediately. If you don't have a defender in front of the ball immediately, then the player has time to look up, and that's a long ball that they can send or switch to another side. So if, if this comes up, and it always will because no press is perfect, if this comes up, then a player is holding the ball with space looking up, how does the defense respond? Well, the defensive line, again, now has two options. They can drop because they haven't successfully put the press there yet, and so they should just drop into the space, or they can play the offsides trap, right? What is the offsides trap? You're sitting in a line, You're waiting for that ball to get hit for the long ball. You step up before the long ball is hit and the players that are running into space poorly, essentially mistime their runs and end up offsides, right? That's the idea, right? The reason all three of the other three goals are scored all have something to do with a poorly played offsides trap. Even the free kick to a certain extent has a role in this, right? So the first goal... Um, let's look at that. The first goal, or sorry, well, the first of these three. So the second goal really, um, is an offsides mistake, I believe by Gomez. Uh He is on the right-hand side. Trent has stepped up because the ball has been played back. He steps up into space. And if you look at the, the replay on this, you can see it pretty clearly. All of the defenders are in a line and Gomez is there as well. But right before the pass, which I believe is from Grealish, he takes a step back to follow the run. And it's, you know, inches of difference, but it's the inches that would absolutely make a difference, especially now that we have VAR, that would have put, that would have put Ollie Watkins offsides. But he decides to chase at the last second instead of setting the line, and that's, that's a mistake. Now, here's the thing. When you're playing the offsides trap like that, the first defender is not the guy who needs to cover that in the terms of a mistake. If, the, if there's not going to be an offside, so you know who covers that? The opposite defender on the opposite side because he can see the entire offsides line. If he sees it's not going to be offsides, it's his job to cheat and run directly across to mark that man. That, that, that's the way you got to distribute the responsibilities in that case. But Gomez jumps the gun. He's on sides. He then makes a second mistake, overcommits, and gets cut into the inside. Terrible mistake there. So it's a defensive mistake by Gomez in both, situa- in both spots to me. Then that happens sometimes, and you pay the price when you're playing that high. Now the next goal, two goals, they look similar uh, or have similar issue. So the fourth goal right, is the next one like this. Aston Villa uh, wins the ball on the right side. Poole kind of presses them. They play the ball back, swinging around, and you're going to see, I think it was their outside defender, I'm not sure who it was, has the ball. Matt Target, I think. Target. Oh, my God. Their outside defenders have the best names. They're Target and Cash. (laughs) Unbelievable. So I think it's Target. Maybe it's Cash. I don't know. They're definitely buddies, though. So Target gets the ball, has good 15 20 yards of space and again this is that same situation where you have to make a decision of defense are you going to play the offsides trap right 
or are you going to or are you going to you know you're going to retreat and in this particular situation they play the offside trap again and i think the reason why this keeps happening duffy is because this is a habit like this is what they do and when you play the offside's trap and that's like your habit it's kind of a hard habit to not play because it completely changes the way you're thinking about the ball when it's not in your possession. So I think it's why they keep doing it, right? Um, but in, but so they decide to play the offsides trap, and what we see is uh, essentially a well-timed run, right? That they don't do well with. But again, the big thing here is if you watch the farthest defender from the ball, which is one known other than Trent Alexander-Arnold, his hands are like literally in his invisible pockets, hands on hips, watching this free kick. I'm sorry, watching this ball go through. And then when he realizes that it's a problem, he tries to recover, but he, I mean, there's no way he's going to make that. See, the thing is, as your outside defender there, you got to be watching that play so that if it's going to break, you cheat. You say, oh, it's not going to work. They're going to break it, and you are the one to go come into the man. But that's a complicated thing. This is all complicated. If you want to do this, it takes a lot of pieces. But anyways, they get, they break the offside's trap there again. And I think the final goal is another another similar example. Um, I think tr- they're playing on the line, and Trent Alexander-Arnold tries to stab at this ball that's passed through to Jack Grealish instead of just recovering, right? He tries to stop the play there at the line, and that's a through ball that you know Grealish just takes in and pokes past the keeper, no problem. There's another one, too. Fabinho plays in the center back. He tries to play the offside trap at half field, <laughs> which is like the most aggressive offside trap you can play because it's so easy for the uh, other players to visually see what will, what will and what won't mm-hmm. break the trap. I think it was an overcommit like overcommittal to this offside trap. But the thing is, I think it's an easy thing to fix it, it for, for, for a pool. It's hey, we gotta recalibrate. Literally, let me show you the clips. You see how this works? Okay, let's make sure the responsibilities are lined up. We're gonna play this against this team. Maybe we won't play it as much right now because most teams have crappy defenses and good offense. So we'll just sit a little deeper, build a little bit more early in the game, and then find our goals. Um, I, I think that's the core of their problems, and I just don't – that doesn't worry me that much. I'm like, that team, they work as a group. Jurgen Klopp has a good vision. He'll figure out how to solve that problem, and then this will be just a blip on the radar not to worry about. That, that's what I think, and I think it's much worse for United. <laughs> like it shows terrible things about United. My notes were like topics of each game that to, to, to consider discussing, and mine for that game was just – Manchester United have problems. That was my dis- that was my description of, of the topic to cover in that game. So, th- anyways, the, I see worlds of difference between the two. Davi, thoughts? Uh, I think it, it's actually really interesting hearing you talk about the offsides trap like that. Um, in my very limited play, I typically have played as a central defender, and when that's happened. Um, that's been the instruction I've got. It's usually that the outside backs are the ones who are kind of calling and coordinating that trap. And, um, yeah. And, and so like as a central defender, you're just trying to line up with the guy who's in your vision. So if that's the right back or if that's the other center back and the left back or whatever. Um, but I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that at this level and thought about like who's calling it out and where you should be seeing the person to make the cutting and run behind. And that, that felt very illuminating to hear you talk about it in both this game context and in playing myself and I'm going to look for that in future games just to see like who is the one who's coming back when, when teams are playing that line. Mm -hmm. I, I guess on Liverpool, um, 
it's early. It's a small sample size. They've got some injuries. Uh, they've got some people who are sick. So, you know, there's some kind of some weird stuff going on for them squad-wise. Um, but I, I'm just, like, looking at their results and um, – yeah, I don't know. It's making me very excited for the Everton-Liverpool game in two weeks. We got a Merseyside Derby that feels like it's going to be a relevant game for seeing, like, is Everton legit? Is Liverpool, you know, going to bounce back from this loss? Because I just look and I'm like, they beat Chelsea in a red card game 2-0. I wasn't super convinced by Liverpool in that game. Like, they won. Chelsea had some chances, even went down. They beat Arsenal 3-1, and... Arsenal, I thought, was fine, not particularly good. Um, but then in the League Cup this past week, they lost to Arsenal in a shootout. Uh, it, it was nil-nil going into the shootout. And I know it's not Premier League, and it, and it was Liverpool's B team, and kind of Arsenal's B team, I guess. But um, Liverpool sh- you know, shipping seven goals, it, it, it is a big deal. And it is something that I think, if I'm a Liverpool fan... <laughs> I'm concerned about, I'm concerned that it feels like our results kind of hinge on do we have Allison and do we have our guys? And you just know in a, a, a fixture congested year, there's going to be a lot of injuries. There's going to be people out for COVID. So like if Liverpool is going to be serious about winning the title again and able to do that, then they have to be able to play with some secondary pieces and, and be successful in matches. I think the the other thing that's, like lurking in the back of my head that someone mentioned was, um, you know, when it kind of fell off with Klopp at Dortmund, it fell off kind of out of the, I, I don't know if I want to say totally out of the blue because I don't have a ton of memory and like I, I'm not a huge Bundesliga person, but he finished seventh in his last year there. And it was sort of like, um, I, I just remember it being like kind of surprising. And then he came to Liverpool. So that's like, maybe store that away a little tickler for you like I don't know it does Klopp is is Klopp going to be the kind of guy who has a staying power to go all the way I'm not this game is not the game that's going to be alarm bells Klopp is is falling apart I don't want to suggest that but I do think it's like um if these sort of results that feel fluky start to happen a little bit more frequently then yeah at a certain point you do start to have to question some managerial decisions and um, yeah, I, the, the one last point that I had was I thought Trent Alexander-Arnold was very poor defensively in this game, and I thought that in general, actually, this year, he's been pretty poor. He was abysmal in that game that I watched when he played for England. Um, I can't remember who they played, but I, I just thought he, he looked really lost in a different system, and he's a really great system piece at Liverpool. He's so good going forward. He's very creative on the ball. But he made a number of defensive mistakes in this game that, to me, felt uncharacteristic. And um, I've sort of I, – I, I, that's another thing I, I would say to keep an eye on is when the space is behind someone, I notice teams go behind him. And they particularly try to target getting in the space behind him. And I think there's some sense of some defensive vulnerability that – I, I wouldn't have associated with him last year. Like I would view him as a really locked lockdown defender. And, mm. um, and I saw that in this game. So yeah. Yeah. I, 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 
I would think that both of the outside defenders kind of struggled in this game. I realized that I talked about one of the goals as if it was one of the goals that should have been a goal, but it actually wasn't. That was the through ball, I think, to Barkley that he couldn't quite finish on. The other goal that I forgot to mention was actually the free kick. And when you talk about like the performance being a little off here, they set that really high line in the free kick, and they end up sending the ball to the back of the whole the whole mess of people. And right. there are maybe a couple offsides in the middle there, but I think it's Trezeguet right in the back who yep. receives the ball, and he's he's clearly on sides. So you look at the replay. But one thing you should draw your attention to is Rabo on the near side. He is playing the offsides trap, turns, sees Trezeguet bring the ball down, and doesn't do anything. He yeah. just pauses, kind of waiting for the call or something, realizes that's maybe not going to happen, runs in, but now he's hesitated far too late, and Ollie Watkins is a good two feet in front of him. Totally that's the clear. goal. I mean, I think I saw in both of these in both of these situations the, the offsides, that trap that didn't work for the Barkley chance that wasn't a goal. You see Trent Alexander-Alder watching from the other side, and you see the same thing with Rob on the near side. And when you're playing the offsides trap, um, you really – it 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 is a, extremely – it's all about synchronization. It's about this perfect coordination and timing. That's what makes you elite at it. And you can't have a single person not playing their role because it's too dangerous not to. So I don't want to throw it all on them, but I agree that, that I don't know that either of them played as well in this game, at least, as they as they, as they they can or as I've seen in the past. Definitely wouldn't throw the towel in on Jurgen Klopp. I know you're not trying to make that point, but I, I just yeah. want to be clear. I... I think he's going to fix this no problem. Um, I, th- I don't think it's going to be a huge deal. I think that they're going to. I think that they should play a little bit more like they played against Arsenal in every one of their games. I think they should try to open up with a little bit deeper play out of the back, kind of build up a little more slowly, even look a little bit like kind of Chelsea did. Build the foundation, find that rhythm, and then start to work into the kind of more standard attack um, that they that they're very good at doing. I think it'll be a better way to warm up. They won't get these early goals scored on them perhaps that way. Um, and that, I think, will give them the rhythm to be dominant. If you look at the other part of this game, which especially before so many goals get scored, their offense looks pretty solid. I mean, they're getting the same kind of chances in the box, crosses in from wide. They do in every other game. It's not like they just turned off their offense. And they got two goals. Um, you know, So it's not like an unreasonable amount of goals for a pretty you know any other standard game. Uh, so... I don't think think they've really turned off on that side either. So I think it's really about fixing that problem. Um, And I just want to make one really, I think this was a startling stat if you are thinking that the offsides trap is the style of play for the game. There were two offsides calls against Aston Villa. And if you're playing that high of a line and you saw what, like maybe eight, nine chances that were like solid right several of them led to goals but then other ones that didn't but like were were were, were dangerous mm-hmm. that's that's the thing that that should have been at least maybe four more offsides that's what that you needed to that you need to draw there if you're going to play that kind of game um they just didn't they didn't and that's a, that's a huge difference maker when that's your when that's your strategy all right we're going to take a quick break from talking about liverpool aston villa And when we come back, we're going to get into our tactical question a little bit more broad strokes. We'll be right back after the break. Okay, welcome back. So our tactical question this week was, how do you run the offsides trap? And, um, 
we've been talking about it a lot in the instance specifically of Liverpool Aston Villa and talking a lot about the ways that it didn't work out particularly well um, but wanted to get into the more positive side of it and thinking about how can you be successful in running the offset trap and how does this function as a tactic in the game so I wanted to kick it over to you Rodrigo and hear your thoughts on how you'd answer that question thank you um so I I will say this I never I've, I played as a central defender plenty of times in my illustrious soccer career. Uh, but I never really played on a team where when I was in the defense, we were playing a very strong offsides trap. So in a way, it was something that I kind of learned about from watching um, and also something uh, that I came to understand, I feel like, more intimately later. And I think it's one of the most beautiful parts of, def- of defense and soccer. It's like a beautiful... Uh, way to play. I know that as a, a viewer watching, it never feels that way because it just completely stops a game in its tracks every time it's successful. It's just like, oh, uh, offside stamp, okay. And it never feels good because it kind of jolts you awake from what's something that usually felt like it was going to be something else. But the players executing it, um, let me tell you, it's it's a, actually a really fun experience. I find um, it's kind of it's kind of a wild thing to actually get down. So let's talk a little bit about what it is. Um, kind of, I think where it naturally comes from in terms of moments of the game, and then look at maybe a few different styles of its implementation that have the same features, obviously, but look at it from a slightly different perspective. So the first question about it is, you know, well, well what is it, right? And the idea of the offsides trap is that essentially you have a line of defenders. Um, they have to be on your half of the field because there is no offsides on the other side of the field. So they're lined up on your side of the field. And the idea is that they're going to intentionally, as a group, step up, leaving players that are standing still, for example, offsides. Um, the moment of the game that this kind of naturally generated form, so if you want to go back to the state of nature before society existed and play, people were just learning to kick a ball around and play soccer – the way that the offsides trap was created um, was, I think, at least naturally when you go play like, you know, pickup, is a counter to the counter. So when a team is countering you, what's usually happening is you have a smaller group of players in the back line, maybe one, two, three, usually like three. And it's like a three on three or like a two on three or a three on two, right? So it's always usually in this countering situation. And the idea of the offsides trap is that the other players, right, or why, they, why it generates out of this moment is the other players are usually coming at full speed and usually not at, in an even, like not in even line. Usually one or two of the players are coming out unevenly. And essentially what you're doing in this situation is you're dropping as hard as you can because you're trying to slow the game down and make sure they don't get a shot. But the offsides trap gives you something to do that's aggressive in that situation i can wait to counter that counter which is to step up as a line and leave one of those players offsides and if you're so good at it that you can identify as a group which of the players is going to be offsides when you step to the ball you step in a way that closes the angle for the other side and it kind of forces the pass to be that direction if it's going to be a pass at all and you leave that man offsides and that stops the play. So like I said, the, the natural moment that I, I associate the offsides press with, which some, I mean offsides uh, uh, trap with that maybe not everybody would at first glance, is with a counter to the counter. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about the way it's been implemented, though, it, it, it's not always implemented as a counter to the counter. Um, so 
the way that we described it, I described it at one point in this Liverpool, in this Liverpool game, was not what you would call a counter to the counter. It wasn't a fast break situation. Um, it was that situation where the ball was essentially pressed on the right side by Liverpool, um, and then it came back to the defense, out to the right-hand side, and a defensive player was holding the ball with time to look up, right? So this is not the same situation I described, and yet, right, the offsides trap plays a really important role in how Liverpool, in that circumstance, was trying to defend the long ball. Um, I associate this a lot with the Italians. The Italians used to do this kind of offsides trap, and so the way that they used to do it was like this. When they lost the ball, instead of trying to press the ball, they would start to drop but the thing is, when you drop defensively, a lot of times what happens is the forwards drop with you. And a lot of times it's the kind of the same pace as you because you're kind of setting that pace like, oh, oh we got to get back. We got to get back. And so what they would do is they would move their whole team, essentially just leaving space, which is not, you know, which is not stepping up at all. And essentially bait forwards into this run. And when they saw that situation where the player had the ball with space to look up, they would all step as a group hard. And the thing is, is it does two things. One is it leaves the forwards off sides who've been baited. But two, it's suddenly a press. <laughs> and there's pressure on the ball. And the, a guy with pressure on the ball all of a sudden likely sends the ball long, which is exactly what you want him to do. So it's a little bit more of this baiting. And I'm not, I don't want to call it the Italian trap, the Italian job. But in this, what I associate with Italians, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. Maybe the Dutch did it first. I couldn't tell you. But the way that I associate it is this kind of, deeper lying let's drag forwards with us and then step and put pressure on the ball all of a sudden and that's going to leave a bunch of guys off sides and hopefully put pressure on them anyways so that they're down a number you know down men and or send the long ball that we want them to so those are the kind of the two different ways that i think about it right one is something that you kind of do in transition right and that's something you can teach with your team so all right like how we're going to learn how to use the offside trap is going to be this where players in the midfield running onto you as defenders and you have to defend the ball. Let's learn how to use offside trap. If you just teach that, that's the only way they're probably going to ever apply it. Um, you can also teach them in this other situation, which is watching. And this is the way I learned to do it first. Cause I didn't learn to do it that much when I played is watching the guy with the ball and essentially calling. This is something usually the central defender does calling the step, essentially screaming step when they see that the guy's going to send the ball stepping Right, so kind of like the Italian version that I've been describing. Um, that's kind of the way I learned to do it, and, that, and that's the only way I thought about it for a long time until I realized that the natural place it shows up really is in these fast break counter situations. Um, and you know, if you're gonna beat the trap, the biggest thing is knowing it's gonna be there, honestly, because uh, it takes uh, a lot of effort and coordination to do effectively. That if you know. You can just hold the runs, right, or don't get baited, right? Like I said, it naturally is kind of a counter to the counter so if you are countering on a fast break and you know they're going to try to do that you can slow down the runs you can wait a little longer my favorite technique um and maybe i'm giving away the secret sauce here uh but that's fine if i if i have to do it my favorite thing to tell a forward when they're trying to time on the offsides trap is to make what i call a curved run which is you facing the ball run essentially horizontally towards the sideline instead of forward in a curved motion. And the reason I love this is because what it allows you to do is you can turn that curve against the line at any time, right? You can turn at any time and break through the line. You get to make the decision, but you never lose your full speed, right? So instead of slowing down and waiting, I'm like, oh, when am I going to go? 
you make the curve run so that you're constantly running and you can drag across the line whenever you see that the ball has been touched. Um, so breaking it is something you can totally teach. And honestly, it's good fundamentals for breaking the op- breaking offsides line, even if they're not playing a trap. Um, so definitely something worthwhile. But if a team's got your number on that, you kind of got to stop doing it. That's the thing about the offsides trap. If they counter the counter to the counter, <laughs> there's no more countering to be done. You just got to stop. You just got to go back to like, let's give them the space. They got our number, uh, you know. Um, laying a trap, if someone knows it's there, is extremely ineffective. Let me put it that way, right? It's just, it, it, they just avoid the trap, right? It's not that hard. But if they don't know it's there sometimes, it's the perfect, it's the perfect thing because no one can expect it. No one, no one has a good defense for it. They're never ready for it when it's there. So I think, I think this game was a great game to see how it can fall apart, even in the, the highest levels and how it's a thing you can totally break if you know essentially where the keys are, <laughs> uh, so I, 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 I love this game for that, for that kind of tactical reason. Um, but as you watch the game and you think about defending in those situations, just think about how your defense is responding and see if they're playing that trap and if they're playing it well. I, when you were saying that particular thing about running the Italian-style trap where someone yells, yes. Step, I have been the person who's had that yelled at me and then not stepped quickly <laughs> enough as a center back and kept the man on side. So... That was a little triggering to hear, but um, a very good uh, description of how to effectively run the offside trap if you're not it's all, that's, your- that's the thing. It's so obvious when you screw it up because, I mean, it's just everyone just looks at you and you're like, fuck. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, I'm literally just the only guy standing three feet behind everybody else. So sorry about that, guys. Uh Oops. So it, it, tough, tough. It's almost the it's almost the thing that you can get that makes you have the sole responsibility for a goal more than any other mistake. Like whiffing a whiffing a tackle, like yeah, it was a mistake, but it's like an honest mistake. That was just like you didn't do what you were supposed to do, and had you done it, it would have been fine. So <laughs> uh, it's 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 definitely something that can be pretty pretty intense individual responsibility. Um, glad we got to talk about it today. Um, We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back from the break, we're going to do a quick roundup of transfers because it is deadline day um, in the transfer market. All right, welcome back. The transfer window has slammed shut. People love saying that. You got to say it if you're in the soccer biz. So the transfer window has slammed shut. And we are now left to see what has happened for all these clubs. We're going to try to go down all 20 clubs and just talk quickly about transfers in, transfers out, things we notice. Uh, We're not going to get everyone. We're not going to capture like every single change that they've made. We're just going to try to hit some highlights for you all. Um, we're going to kick it off with Arsenal, alphabetical. We're top of the table, baby, number one. So, uh, yeah, as I mentioned in part one, uh, in the beginning of this episode, Arsenal signed Thomas Partey from Atletico Madrid. Um, I, I feel kind of emotional. It's an amazing signing for Arsenal right at the close of the window. It didn't really seem like it was going to go through. Um, they triggered his release clause at the 11th hour. Totally screwed over Atletico Madrid. And it's the replacement for Patrick Vieira that's just been 14 years late. Um, But it's a huge pickup for Arsenal. Um, 
The other one I wanted to point out quickly is Gabriel. He's a Brazilian center back side from Lille. Um, and he started three times for Arsenal, and he's been man of the match in all three of those performances. Um, he's really bringing some great stability to the back line. I am stoked about both of those guys coming into the club. And the departures, a couple of loan moves of note, uh, Guendouzi and Torreira going out on loan, and Emiliano Marte- Martinez, the backup goalkeeper, headed out to Aston Villa, and, and he's had a great start over there. Um, yeah, any thoughts on business for Arsenal? Uh, I mean, I, I I was excited to see Martinez coming over to Aston Villa. Honestly, I think that was a good. I think that was a good move for the team um, over at Aston Villa. We see that they can do stuff up top. Securing a good goalkeeper is a big. I think a really big part of that. I thought he played really well. Um, uh, I think that was yeah the, the end of last season, which was not that long ago. <laughs> I always give these yesterday, like, <laughs> literally yesterday. Um, but uh, I, I'm excited by that for sure. I think that's probably my my biggest takeaway from it. Um, I think I think Partey is going to be a really, really fun player to watch on Arsenal. I feel like in some ways he might tickle your fancy as well because he kind of reminds me of the kind of player that is going to kind of be there to make some tackles when there's when when the structure's right, but there's no one to step on the ball, which is always an exciting thing to, to start an attack up. And I also see him being a guy who can work in the transition as well, which I think is a, a nice piece of webbing that like kind of missing from that Arsenal midfield, right? You have some players that can kind of combine up top and then can also find like spaces for each other. Willie Ann driving in, Pepe with, you know, nice goal today. Aubameyang cruising one over the like barely over the net from like 30 yards out mm. having somebody to weave them together a little bit could be really really cool to see there um so that's a ton of responsibility and a ton of effort but everybody says that he has just this work rate to do it so let's see what he's got uh could be an explosive explosive person uh on the arsenal side high expectations and arsenal has never gone wrong before so i'm sure it won't this time either um moving on quickly aston villa been busy as we mentioned emiliano martinez great pickup for them huge they also signed ollie watkins from brentford he lit up the championship last year huger um and maddie cash kind of like not getting a whole lot of love like that's not a name you're hearing a lot about which uh, is ridiculous. Right Matty Cash um, is the name we should be talking about at all times. Yo, you hear about Matty Cash? Yeah, he's doing great. Doing great. Just signed for Aspenville. I love it. <laughs> um, Matty Cash was definitely the drug dealer in your high school <laughs> who, like, people were not super down with. I'm sorry. I, he's a quality player. But, like, when you Matty hear Cash. a Matty Cash, I just picture someone in, like, a big hoodie – and like a, a fitted backwards cat, cigarette behind his ear. <laughs> Maddie exactly. Cash, Maddie Cash, what's up? Um, yeah, absolutely. Good, good business from Aston Villa. Also got Ross Barkley on loan, um, and they're and they're using him right. They're using him right. I'm telling you, love it. Um, Brighton is our next team. Not really a, a whole lot that jumped out at me. I think actually one. One small piece of business, Adam Lallana has been like kind of their bigger person who they got for free from Liverpool. Mm-hmm. I think he'll be fine. He's kind of like, eh, Adam Lallana, okay, it's nice. Um, yeah. Ben I, White is a good pickup for them. He's a center back from Leeds, mm-hmm. and they got him on loan. And yeah. I think that, that he's already looked good in the time that he's played for them. And I, 
I think that he's he's a small piece, but a good one for them to add. Always funny to me when I see a loan like after the th- after the season has started from a team that's playing in the same league. Like it's just like it's like wait what? It's like, oh. And I understand that's how money works, but it's not how I like you would pick it in a in a, like you know what I mean in like a pickup game. Like so it's always so bizarre to me to see them switch shirts like that. I'm like this is treason. But it's never. One, one thing I also want to say is I feel like Adam Milan is the guy that's getting in the way of a youth player that I want to just see have some minutes and get better. <laughs> like, that's the hard part about watching him play. Like, yeah, he's fine. But, like, I'd rather just see somebody, like, trying to, like, frag out, you know what I mean? And, and see what they can get and build up as a player and, you know, have that angst, you know? Because especially on a team like Brighton, that's the kind of style of play. It's the culture. They come at you. They come at you when they got the ball, when they don't. That's and I like that about him. So Adam Law doesn't feel like a great fit there, but hey, you know, see what he does. Um, gonna hop into Burnley. I a notable departure. Jeff Hendrick left for Newcastle, as we also talked about in part one. Um, on transfer market, the value of Burnley's arrivals is eleven million, which is the lowest of any valuation of any club on here, and I think that speaks to just the lack of quality in the players that they're bringing in from whether it's from loans or I think they only made two purchases. So not a whole lot to say there. Brexit FC looking a little thin. I'm going to say that. (laughs) It makes, makes sense. Honestly, it fits, fits the, fits the image. I also feel like if I'm trying to remember, I feel like Burnley is one of those teams that has a huge roster. Am I wrong about that? We might, we need to get a research team on that, but I feel like, (laughs) <laughs> I feel like I feel like the the picture I have in my head of Burnley, whether it's right or wrong, is that they have kind of a large roster. Maybe I'm mixing them with somebody else, and that the part part they're partly not getting new signings, but they also partly don't know what to do with the what the ones they have. If this yeah. is a different team, I have to find out. But I think they have a particularly large roster, so I'll check that out. Research team will get on that. There, there. I guess their one success is that they kept Tarkowski. They're their defender and there was a lot of word that he was going to leave so mm. good to hang on to a good piece and he is a quality player ooh, but um, next up ooh, Ch- chelsea i uh <laughs> if you want to just look at all the people that chelsea has brought in and all the people that they have brought out um yeah prepare for hours of reading it is an insane list so I think that the big names of people who are coming in kai havertz timo Werner, ben chilwell hakeem ziech Edward Mendy, the goalkeeper. Um, Tiago Silva. Milan Sar. Tiago Silva. It's insane. Like, that list is absolutely ridiculous. Um, I think, I I, I guess I expected actually a few more exits from Chelsea, considering how busy they were. They did um, manage to get Bakayoko out on loan. Um, They also lost Willian and Pedro, both to free transfers. Um, Chelsea's super active. I think Chelsea were just like, okay, transfer ban in our last transfer window. So that means that we need to do quintuple the normal business that you would. And they just went absolutely ham sandwich. Um, (laughs) So yeah. Any thoughts about Chelsea in the transfer window? I don't know why, but when I started to take a look at this list, I just wanted to put some sunglasses on. Like it's nighttime, but for some reason, I was like, I gotta sit back for a second. This is a lot of this is a lot of bright white light looking at me. That those those what five seven players they that you just named. I mean, 
Like, let me put it this way. If you were like, okay, I'm going to make a team, and then you gave me the seven players, I'd be like, okay, I can make a few more signings, and I think we'll be set. <laughs> but it's the <laughs> other way around, right? Like, like it's 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 silly. I've got a goalkeeper. I've got a full of, like, attacking, like, third, essentially, of the field done, and two core defensive players. Like, okay. That's like a whole, that's like when you go to the house and like, yeah, we restored it. And it's like, what's left? It's like, oh, just this one brick pier in the middle. This is, this is the original house here. The rest, that's modern. Like, not that they're necessarily being played that way, but that's the kind of signing going on here, which just means so many possibilities. It means so many combinations of players that are possible, which is why I think I keep giving, like, I keep giving Lampard more time because he has a lot of options, and I know he's a smart enough guy to have at least one solid vision for a team. And if he keeps juggling the pieces trying to find that vision, he'll probably find it. Um, and it's going to work out pretty well. So we'll see. A million amazing players for Frank Lampard to bench in favor of Mason Mount. Exciting to follow as you continue to watch Chelsea this season. Um, moving on, Crystal Palace. Uh, Crystal Palace, not as active as I think I would have guessed from their pretty mediocre performance last year. Um, they did bring in Eze, who we've talked about in previous episodes, uh, a young player from QPR, pretty exciting. Um, and they've also brought in Michi Bacuayi from um, Chelsea on loan. I feel like Bacuayi is on loan some, like, I thought he was a Dortmund player on loan at Chelsea, and it's like the other way around. That dude is loaned out so much. Like, I forgot what his parent club was. But he's he's at Crystal Palace, I guess, which is <laughs> Well, <fine>. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like Crystal, Crystal Palace is the oldest team in the league, I think, that their average age is the oldest. And I, I kind of th- thought that they would have been a little bit more active in bringing in some more younger talent and maybe buying some more championship players. But, um, yeah, I, I, I guess not. <laughs> yeah, tough. T- uh, tough. I especially think that the big like – your, like your point uh, just now, being, being an older team and not bringing in talent – asked about what you're going to try to do this year and like we said kind of earlier i think there's there's definitely some question as to whether their only threat like like you know on a consistent basis is one guy and so like what are you doing you know like with an older team that has a kind of a single threat like really i think i don't know what the financial situation is but the business i want to be doing is let's get ourselves a few young players that can learn with this older team and help facilitate support to this one guy and then we'll make it a little more complex when we get some hopefully can generate some more money uh and and fill out the rest but uh, you don't see that here and that's a little bit worrisome i think Mm -hmm. i'm no master Mm -hmm. at this kind of part of the game but that's something i'm thinking about i think it's i think same same train of thought Mm-hmm. Um, Everton, on the other hand, really went off in this window. Uh, they brought in Allen from Napoli, Decore from Watford, James Rodriguez from James Rodriguez from Real Madrid, and then I think it got finalized. I think today Ben Godfrey, a center back from Norwich, um, young center back. I think he, he's an exciting talent, not necessarily a proven entity, but. I think Everton willing to kind of take a flyer on him in a way, you know, it's it, it, it could be a good gamble. You want to develop a good center back. That's an important piece. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the 
the outgoing players for them that jumped out is Moise Keane. He'd signed from Juventus for Everton last year, and he's gone out on loan to PSG, which I think is good for him. He really struggled last year, so I think that will be some good development. And then Theo Walcott has gone on loan out to Southampton, um, which Southampton did an announcement video for him today that I saw that I thought was really cool. He's a Southampton guy. He played there, and he left 14 years ago for Arsenal. And their announcement video for him coming back was him wearing his original Southampton kit, and then it sort of flashes to him wearing the new Southampton kit, and I was like, oh, that's sick. Like, that's tight. Older players go back to their old club. Like that's heartwarming. Like, you can't you can't hate that. You can't hate that. You can't hate that. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on Everton business or any of those players? I I really have been uh, liking the way Decore has been playing. I he got an assist I think in this last game. I think he was just. Uh, I think he was a really solid sign. I know that. I mean, obviously, James Rodriguez has been an impactful player already. I know you might. I think your 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 thoughts are that people might get his number and they might be a little bit less of a threat. But still, he's obviously had the splash now. But I really think Decore has been a good addition to the midfield. I think he's played really solidly on defense, um, which is just I think is underrated sometimes. And what you want a midfielders that can be good defenders stop you from having to worry about the fact that you have shitty defenders um like it's another it's another solution to the problem is that if you have like like i said i think in the other game not this not not with everton but like if you have a person like sushek in the midfield winning balls regularly that just it stops things early and it's a great point of transition and dorcore is i think adding adding some real value there and and he had an assist today and he's played well like i'm thinking kind of all of the roles solid i would put him as a he's he's like an eight for me just to kind of that utility midfielder but he's doing all the things really well and i think it's a good a good floor to set for the rest of the team something that kind of jumps out when i'm looking at the list is that allen is 29 hamas is 29 and decore is 27 they're not like young players who they're bringing in. They're 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 people maybe towards the tail end of their 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 prime and their window, and it kind of makes you feel like Everton sort of this summer saw the moment as being like, it's kind of win now. Like we should go for it now. This yeah. is a weird year. I think you made and, a great point. Um, that, that like when I see age right. signings like that, right. that, that's what it feels like. That I um, think you're right. I, I didn't even realize that. You're totally right. They're they're gonna. I mean, and it makes sense. I mean, it definitely makes sense. Look at the league, the way it's playing out this year. They read their car. They read the tea leaves correctly. Like this is a this is an anyone goes season, and they're they're what, what, how, have they lost a game? Did they lose a game? Who they lose to? No, they're undefeated. Yeah. There that's, you go. That's the way you start that kind of thing. So, <laughs> well done. Well done. Um. Next Fulham. club, maybe not so well done. Uh, Overdone. Oh my Overdone. God. That's exactly it, man. They're just buying like a whole bunch of like mediocre players. And I, I feel like that's – I've never really seen that work out. You're, it's like in it, – like I imagine it being in like FIFA where you're taking a whole bunch of – you got like a bunch of 70s in your squad and you're just buying a whole bunch of 72s. And it's like – why don't you just buy a couple 80s instead of like upgrading all these people very marginally? So to give you an example, they got Anthony Knockhart from uh, Brighton. I think they overpaid for him. He's an older right winger. And the other signing uh, I think of interest to us as Americans is Anthony Robinson. They bought from Wigan. Um, he's a, a defender. He usually plays his right back. Um, he's a talented player. Uh, sorry, he normally plays his left back. Excuse me. He was deployed as right back recently. 
Um, I think he'll get a lot of minutes for Fulham, and it'll be fun to watch him as an American. I don't see any reason to think that Fulham is going to stay up this year and their transfers don't give me any reassurance of that whatsoever. Ooh. The one, was, one, fun, one fun fact. It yeah. turns out that if I was asked to pick names from a screen uh, as players that I thought had the coolest names, uh, they would be the exact same list of players that were chosen for Fulham. Just fun fact for you. The names on this are absolutely unreal. I Like all of them, I'd be like, oh, Alfie Mawson? That dude probably balls out. I don't even need to see the vid. Let's get the signing. Let's get that done. Uh, Cyrus Christie? Mm. He's, he must, does he score screamers? He's a defensive defender, sir. Oh, I'll just take him anyways. He sounds great. Like some of these names are great, but uh, unfortunately your name doesn't play for you. <laughs> so True. Sylvester Jasper is an all-time. That's a freaking He's a ghost. Sick. He's absolutely a ghost. He's not even a real person. <laughs> that's a sick so, name. Sylvester Jasper, the friendly ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, uh, Leeds United. Um, very busy, really splashing cash. Uh, some deadline day signings. I think Rafinha got brought in today from Stad Rin, however you want to say that club in France. Um <laughs> As a right winger, a young Brazilian player, exciting player to watch. Uh, they also, as we mentioned, signed Rodrigo from Valencia. That was earlier on. And brought in Diego Llorente from Real Sociedad, who is um, an experienced center back who I think will really help that back line and um, really bring some leadership and organization to them. Um, a- another player that kind of jumped out to me on this list is Jack Harrison. He uh, is on loan from Man City. Uh, American listener, if you are American and you followed MLS, you might remember him. He used to play for NYCFC. He was on loan at NYCFC from Man City and now is on loan at Leeds. He's had a nice start to the season. And, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of co- I, I always think it's kind of cool when you see, like, young MLS talent going into England and you get to see, like, how they were in MLS and then get to see them here. And so um, – if you happen to watch both leagues and have seen him, cool player to follow. Thoughts on Leeds? Uh, yeah, you know, I think I my biggest thing is Rodrigo looks like he's going to be a player that could be Agreed. kind of like a good complement to the rest of the team up top. So that's I think my excitement for the for the for the signings at least at this point. And I also have a feeling that Leeds is a kind of club that if they're pushing, uh, you know, for if something crazy is happening and they're like pushing for top six, when we get to the, the January transfer window, I could see them being active again. They're, they're that, they're that kind of club. Um, Leicester city moving on to Leicester. Uh, Leicester has also had some interesting additions. Um, they brought in Wesley Fofana who played as center back at St. Etienne. He was partners with William Saliba, who's now at Arsenal. And the two of them are really great. I think he's an excellent pickup um, for Leicester. He's a very young player. I think he's 19. So uh, someone to really develop as a center back for them. They also brought in Timothy Castagna. Um, he, he's a wing back from Atalanta. And, um, man, has he looked good in these first few games for them. Completely uh, agree. Looked like at, incredible. Excellent pickup. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also brought in... No way I'm going to say his name correctly. Sengis Under? 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he played in this last game, I think. 
Yeah, he came in, I think, for an injury. It was maybe a little unexpected, but he's yeah. coming in on loan from Roma. Um, interesting player. He's been linked with Arsenal a lot for, like, years. So I've watched a lot of Welcome to Arsenal Twitter highlight videos for him. And <laughs> he definitely has a lot of ability. He had a, a, a not very good year at Roma. Um, but I actually think... I really like him as a pickup under Brendan Rodgers. I think having a, a manager with good structure and like real intensity um, could be great for him. Yep. Any, completely agree. any thoughts from you on Lester? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think I just agree with I think I agree with you there. I like I like Castagne. I think he has played he just fit right in. It was a very quick, like, you know, plug and play for him, I think, in this formation and in this style of play. I like that. Um, interested to see where the other guys where the other guys go um moving on to liverpool fc uh yeah you know liverpool do really good business um and they continue to do really good business they brought in diego jota from um wolves they also brought in tiago from Bayern munich um and i just don't understand how they were able to pay so little for Tiago. 24. I, he is a little bit older. I know that, but 24 million for him just seems that's in that's in us dollars, not in pounds or euros. That seems like an insane bargain to me. Hmm. Um, but like part of that is because they sold Rion Brewster to Sheffield United for $26 million, which I think maybe we could talk about him when we get to Sheffield. I'd love to hear your thoughts there, but um, yeah, you know, Liverpool doing a couple of things to shore up the squad, getting in a couple of quality pieces, um, and yeah, doing so at a pretty good price, I think. Yeah, I was excited to see, of course, both of those signings. I was a little, con- not concerned. I didn't know that Jota was going to fit in right away at Liverpool. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe he'd be like a little bit of a misfit. And there's definitely a little bit of a learning curve, but for the most part, I actually think he fits pretty well um, in that rotation with Mane or really either of the, the wing players I think would, would probably work fine. Tiago's been sick, uh, which is a bummer because I really wanted to see him like hop right in and it seemed like he might be getting some early minutes. Um, and there's one other thing that caught my eye. This, uh, I think it's, if it's Spanish, it's Shea Ojo, but I'm not sure that it is, um, from Cardiff. Uh, I remember Cardiff well when they had their brief stint in the in the, in the Premier League. Uh, what was it two years ago now? I had their goalkeeper who, in in by fantasy terms, was excellent. He had at least ten saves a game. <laughs> uh, he I think he blocked two PKs in the course of the season. He had a lot of goals scored on him, but the but the saves were were tremendous. So anything I can do to support Cardiff feels good to me. <laughs> um. Moving on to Manchester City. <laughs> I mean, as always, they spend money. It helps when you are backed by, you know, oil I wanna, money. I, I want to skip them, honestly. I like that's how I feel. I'm like, fucking fuck you guys. Uh, oil money. I'm okay. fine with that. You skip. know what? Skip. On to the next. Hard skip. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Don't oh. care. <laughs> um, Do something Manche- with what you have. All right, let's go. Manchester United, that is going to be our next club. Um, Ooh, I love it. Uh, uh, they're, they're, before we talk about who they actually did get, 
today as the transfer window has closed, Twitter has just been recycling all these tweets from United Stan accounts being like, Yo, United are getting Jaden Sancho. Can't wait. And it's like, oh, fake out. <laughs> you got 45-year-old Edison Cavani. <laughs> You've got mail. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Manchester United might be the AOL of email services right now. <laughs> I, I, they absolutely are. This is uh, – tell me about – but they did have one player, though. You know? Well, they, they did get Donnie Van de Beek, who I love I know, him. I, I rate. Know. I, I rate. He's going to just die there, I'm sure of it. It's going to suck, but whatever. Anyways, continue, continue. Um, and as I mentioned, they did sign Edison Cavani. The other deadline day signing was Alex Tellis from Porto, um, who is a left back. Uh, unclear if he will start over Luke Shaw. I kind of assume that he will, but I, I'm not sure when. Um, he was really good for Porto. Porto plays in a league with no one else so uh, like Benfica maybe is also in that league I'm saying this because it's really hard to evaluate Portuguese players coming into the Premier League Bruno Fernandes came from Portugal and did really well but like Alex Tellis could like he could be a bust and it would not surprise me whatsoever um an interesting player who they picked up also that kind of flew under their radar was Traore from Atalanta he's a young right winger and I hadn't heard really very much about him at all, but, you know, Atalanta's this exciting attacking club and um, young prospects, so maybe someone to be keeping an eye on moving forward. But it's hard to talk about Manchester United and not talk about the fact that they missed out on Jaden Sancho, who they'd been linked with for, like, months and months and months. Mm-hmm. And low-key, they kind of needed to sign a center back, even though they sign Harry Maguire for like a jillion dollars they seem like they really need a center back and to either replace him or either of the donkeys who play alongside him week to week yeah no comment on United I, I again if Ole's not on this list then I don't want to read it <laughs> uh, Newcastle United is our next squad up they brought in uh, Cal Wilson, who we talked about a little bit in part one, from Bournemouth. Jeff Hendrick uh, from Burnley on a free transfer. And Ryan Frazier on a free transfer from Bournemouth. Uh, another like he, another player who Arsenal was linked with for a long time, so I've seen a lot of similar video compilations for him. Um, <laughs> and I'm sim- there's a specific situation I remember. I just have imagined now. Every time you're depressed, it's just you in the dark on your computer, and then I just every time you say something about Arsenal, I just imagine you in the dark on your computer, <laughs> and I can't stop seeing it every time you mention something. It's hilarious. Uh, I'm disturbed at how <laughs> true that is. Tell me about these videos you watched, Debbie. <laughs> uh, I, I got to say, I'm kind of glad that we didn't end up getting right. <laughs> well, um, hey, they're, you know, silver but, lining. You know, New, Newcastle, not a lot of big outgoing players. They retain St. Maximilian, who's definitely their best piece. And um, I think these are some quality pickups for them. I, 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 Jamal Lewis is the other person who they snagged from Norwich. Good left back. Um, good, good to see Newcastle making some seemingly sensible purchases. Um, we got to talk about your blades, man. Sheffield United are next on our list. So, uh, uh, yeah. Tell me, tell me what you think I, first. I, 
It's only four. Well, I, I, the two names that jump out are they, they got Rian Brewster. They got a mm-hmm. young striker from Liverpool. And they signed um, Aaron Ramsdale, a goalkeeper um, who played at Bournemouth. Last season, uh, you know, Sheffield United, known for defending really well, and some of that came down to the fact that they had Dean Henderson in right. goal. Excellent on keeper, honestly, for Excellent. them last year. Excellent. He did just perfect, solid work. Um, and, and Ramsdale is kind of coming in. Ramsdale's played pretty well for Bournemouth. I don't think he's as good as Dean Henderson, but um, he did have a really nice save on that Aubameyang shot. That, like He barely got to it, and it was on a mistake by him, but that was a really nice touch. So early signs from him, and he's young. I think, he's, I think he is a good investment and a, a, a player that will develop well in an in a organized side. What were you thinking, though? Um, you know, my hope is I think I think when you play for Sheffield United, it's a, it, I think they're just a very system-driven team, and I like it when they get players that are a little younger because I think they tend to be more kind of willing to kind of just play into the role of this larger systematic, you know, kind of structure that they have. So I think with anybody, I think I always kind of want them to buy players that are work in progress and then kind of finish up some of that work at the club. So I think I look at the signings that way. And so I'm just kind of – I'm interested to see if they start to develop some of the pieces that we're missing, which I think is just a little bit more of a threat up on top. Up top. So maybe maybe Brewster could be uh, a help in that way. But hopefully whatever they're doing, they're kind of molding them and they can do that and start to get a little better results, I think, so that they can just kind of – float this year i'm not expecting huge things from them this year i think but i need them to kind of pick it up if they want to like at least stay at pace with the rest of the league i think that's a very fair assessment and i i think you know i think rian brewster is good and i i think he has potential to develop to be even better and he's also english so like there is a, a automatic bump in player value because they're english and in the premier league so mm-hmm. i think he's a good pickup for them I, i'm excited to see sense. what he does um, next up, we have the Saints, Southampton FC. Um, I guess to start with their outgoing players, they lost Hoybjerg to uh, Hoybier. I don't even know how to – his name has so many little, like, symbols. It looks like ancient runes looking at that guy's name. It's a yeah, joke. I love it. Um, but they lost him to Spurs. We'll, we'll get to that, too, later. Great pickup for Spurs. Um, and – they picked up Diallo from France, who's a young defensive midfielder who I think is going to be kind of the replacement, developed into the long-term replacement for Hoybier. And they also uh, bought Kyle Walker-Peters from Spurs, um, who is a uh, right back, traditionally like right wing back, uh, very pacey. So I think good fit in terms of what we've talked about with Southampton, really wanted to run up on the sides. Um, yeah, any thoughts about the Southampton moves that they made? Nothing more than I think what you've what you've already put out for us here. Ty, well, we slide right into Tottenham then. And as mentioned, Tottenham um, selling Kyle Walker-Peters and picking up Hoybier from um, Southampton. I think a good um, fit, too. I think a good fit there. Yeah, I do, too. I, he, he, I thought he's – I think he's played well. And I think with Lo Celso and Ndombele, they're developing a, a really strong midfield um, over at Spurs. Um, Spurs also picked up Regulon and Matt Doherty. So they picked up a left back and a right back and pretty late on, uh, I think completed yesterday. 
they also signed Vinicius. Uh, Vinicius, mm-hmm. also a name I'm never going to pronounce correctly. A center forward, kind of as a backup for Harry Kane. Um, yeah, any thoughts about the moves from Spurs? How are you feeling about that? The one man we can't forget, unless we've already mentioned him, Gareth Bale. <laughs> I honestly, I like have forgotten that he's come in because yep. he hasn't been, he hasn't played. Right, like, there's been some fitness stuff. So he's but, what I right, <laughs> Gareth Bale. <laughs> this is like a. It's so funny. I like. It's like if somebody, I don't know if this is a fair assessment at all, but it's some reason, and I have limited knowledge of it, but it's like if somebody came and like picked up Ozil and you were like, oh, wait, but he might actually go off. Like, he might. Like, that's how I feel about this. I'm like, oh, Gareth Bale. But he might go off because I haven't seen him on the field in a, you know, a blue moon or so. But. <laughs> Agreed. I, I, I think the odds are that he will go off in a in a big way um apologies for forgetting about him huge deal to get him back from real Madrid and emotional you know former spurs player yeah spurs legend for sure so very emotional and exciting for them um next up we got west bromwich albion i i i don't want to talk about them too long they're not really a whole lot of note the one thing is that they signed Dean Ghana from West Ham. He's the left winger. He just looked electric for them. He has looked and really good. When that was that, the only guy I knew. <laughs> when that signing went through, uh, Declan Rice, uh, or it might have been a different West Ham player, but someone took to Twitter to explicitly complain about the running of West Ham and the fact that they allowed Dean Ghana to leave, feeling like, this was just a gross mismanagement on West Ham's part, and he's such a quality player. And it like letting him leave for, I think his fee was like fifteen million or something. Like it's not not very much. Um, was was shocking. Um, move, moving on to West Ham though, um, your boy right up at the top of the list, Sushek, dude, killer, killer. I love him. Uh, he, he shuts it down in the midfield. At least he did in this last game so so well. He's. I think he's a great. He's. He's. He's my rook in chess. You know what I mean? Any direction, as many spaces, simple up and down or across. But he just gets the job done. Great defensive player. I think. Good. Good contribution to West Ham already. Um. He was. I believe last year for for 2020. I think he was named the Czech Player of the Year, an award that basically went to Petr Cech for like 15 years in a row. So. Um, it's got big boots to fill in that sense, but uh, yeah, definitely a great player for West Ham to have. Um, I be- I'm not sure if it ended up getting finalized, but I think that Felipe Anderson is out, um, and that's a last-minute move that was he was trying to push out. Um, today, mm-hmm. he wanted to leave the club and play for someone else. Also, a- a- an emotional sad thing for me, Jack Wilshire was released by West Ham. He's now without a club, former Arsenal player. Arsenal youth player, uh, someone who's really connected to me as a fan when I was watching the club. He's like someone who, who really represented Arsenal, I thought, um, in a way that antagonized fans and excited me as a fan. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's sad to see him. Um, his career has really been derailed by injuries and kind of pan out in that way for West Ham. Last but Certainly not least, Wolverhampton Wanderers. 
aka Wolves, um, have been pretty active. They brought in Nelson Semedo, um, and they also brought in Fabio Silva from FC Porto. He's a center forward, I think will probably operate as like the developed backup behind Raul Jimenez. Um, he's really young, so it's it's good to bring in someone like that. They did lose Diego Jota, and they also lost um, Matt Doherty. So there there's some some outgoing players and concerns there, but you just you assume Nelson Semedo would be an upgrade for Matt Doherty. I know he's a player you and I have both watched a, a, a good amount. So yeah, what were you yeah, thinking about Wolves? I definitely like Semedo coming on to this Wolves team. I know I said this last week that I didn't know if he would be a great fit. Still, I think that it's going to take time for him to fit, but I think I was just a little bit, I don't know why, but I think I jumped the gun a little bit about him just not being one. Um, I think it's just going to take a little bit of time. I do think that the Jota move was, I mean, it depends on what your goals are. I'm sure that it was a good deal in some ways. Um, Maybe it made room for this move itself, but I think he was kind of an important role on that team as a goal scorer and a danger at least to draw attention and he's doing that great at Liverpool now I think I mean he's you know once again getting getting his fit getting his gel on but uh I think that was a setback for them so you know I don't know if it evens out in the end but to me I don't feel like it does yet maybe it will a little bit but um yeah that that's the one thing I feel like was maybe maybe a little bit a little bit of of a of a heavier impact than they anticipated I feel exactly the same way. I think creativity or creativity and goal scoring is going to be the issue for them. And, um, yeah, and you lose a, a real goal scoring threat. They've looked limited. They, it's just limited. It's a good word. Call it how we see it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that round wraps up our roundup of the transfers um, and wraps up our first two-parter episode. Rodrigo, we did it. Um, this was immense and awesome. it was an absolute pleasure speaking with you as always and I look forward to talking with you next weekend during the international break <laughs>